This is a HeadGum Podcast. There's something magical about unboxing. When you unbox BritBox, you uncover a world of British entertainment. Stream the UK's most brilliant series, including new and upcoming seasons of Shetland, Father Brown and Death in Paradise. Plus new originals like Payback, Irving Welsh's Crime and Archie, the story of Hollywood's greatest leading man, Cary Grant. Unbox BritBox and escape to the best of British TV. Stream with a free trial at BritBox.com. Hey everybody, we are introducing Sean's brand new podcast, Subtitles On. Each episode, Sean talks to writers about movies about writers. They discuss the depiction of writers in films, what's changed and stayed the same in the entertainment industry, and share a lot of personal stories inspired by the movie. I've known Sean for like eight years now, and he tells so many stories I have never heard before. Uh, I really enjoy recording this and listening to it. It's a lot of fun, and I think you will really enjoy it as well. So every episode will be available on the Patreon, patreon.com slash the flagrant ones. And we also made a dedicated free feed that will have selected episodes just on there for you as well. Um, so if you want to check that out, both of those links are available in the episode description, and that's everything. So enjoy the first episode with Hayes discussing adaptation. Hello, hello. Welcome to Subtitles On. This is a new podcast that we're doing just for you guys, um, whoever's listening. It's only for people who listen to it. Was it 3 a.m. that you called me? Uh, Hayes called me in the middle of the night and he said, Sean, I, I realized something. There are all these podcasts out there, but no one is talking about movies. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yes. Like there's all these shows, everybody's doing a show. They're like, and they're talking about all these like world issues and stuff. And yeah. nobody's ever just like watching a movie from like 20 years ago. Yes. And just kind of going like, man, this is, I really liked this movie. Yeah. And it seemed like there was a vacuum. You said, you can't do it. You don't have time. But well, you just well were like, what I, I yeah. said, whose hands is this idea safe in? Right. That's what I spent a lot of mm -hmm. time like leading up to three. I hadn't just had the idea. I'd actually been sitting on it for a few months. But I was like, I can't just like put this out in the world in a way that like it can be mishandled, appropriated in a way that is not true to its original. If this idea intention, fell into the wrong hands. Yes, exactly. Because yeah. it's such a powerful concept to discuss a movie. Yes. So you have been, uh, I know, on this journey that we've talked about privately where you are embracing your identity as a writer, mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. throwing out all the, like all the bullshit of like pretending not to care so deeply about this, this work and this craft, the craft talking the craft. to your wife and saying, I'm a writer. I'm not a husband. Writer. I will, first. I, I will, I will continue to, we can stay together or whatever, but my identity is writer. And that always takes precedent people ask me for advice on becoming a writer and i say what are the three most important things in your life mm. and they might say my family you know my mommy and daddy mm -hmm. or or my child or my wife my home or what's something else someone would find important car a car my car mm -hmm. and i say if you don't put writer first yeah you're going to lose all those things. Yeah. So you say, what's the most important <laughs> thing in your life? The answer should be writer. Writer. If writer's not the most important thing, yeah. cross everything all else those out. those things are gone. Because you're going to lose it. Yes. Because being a writer, if you truly are a writer, the Repo Man's coming, which is a, the exact one. example of a type of movie that could be discussed on a show like this. Yes. Yes. On and a show like this. that's part of the idea that, uh, that the movie Repo Man not on this show necessarily. Not this show because this show, at least but for a show now, like this, yeah. What this show is going to do? Look, writers are under attack. Yes, the We're studios are coming for our fucking necks. Yes, and so uh, because of that, I feel even more defensive of my identity as a writer, yep. and also 
I have a little extra time. And so I thought, yes. let's watch some movies about writing, writers, Hollywood, showbiz, studios, producers, writers, this kind of thing. Yeah. Or even writers. I mean, it's like, I'm a screenwriter. It's yeah. Sort of a successful one. But there's other kinds of writers. I think Aren't there? this is the moment in the movie where the rebels are at the battlements and they you know they they've been under siege for all this time okay who's and, a writer too and, this, uh, you, the way you're describing this who's also a writer and, you and uh the the king of the castle is looking down and he sees them like turning king, and it looks like they're retreating character. and he's like oh look at him look at him run mhm like 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 rodents but he's and yeah, but they're running to get their gun or something. When we're the gun, yes, and we. Are I was the thinking gun. like a trebuchet, but that's a gun. They're running. That's yeah. what a gun used it's to a be. Fucking gun, dude. Yes, a trebuchet Huge is a ass gun. gun. And they roll in the trebuchet, which is this podcast. It's celebrating writers. It's honoring writers and writing. And we call it subtitles on. Yeah, and we call it that because the guest has to watch the movie with the subtitles on because we're not watching the movie. We're reading the movie. Mm-hmm. And we're watching the movie. Yeah. But we're reading the movie while we're watching the movie. Mm-hmm. I don't know shit about, I didn't go to fucking film school, spoiler alert. I don't know about uh, a camera from a from a, a hole. You know, I, I don't know what that means. Yeah. But I do know about How reading. read a book. I can read. Mm-hmm. I can read a book on the screen and it's a movie. So um, the first movie we wanted to cover the movie we wanted to discuss is a movie called adaptation and it's about guess what have you been listening a writer it's about a couple of different writers two writers and another least. one as well three writers total and maybe and there's yeah. a, and, a, and there's one more there's a fourth writer yeah and it's kind of the movie that is the most about a writer and the process of writing a movie and also made it so you could never really do that again. Yes. Because they did it so much in this movie. Yeah. So allow me to allow me to drop the act, as Scott Ackerman would say, and and just um acknowledge that I love this movie. I think it's one of the best movies about writing and the creative process that I've ever seen. It's also like it's very funny how um, it's very uh, Kaufman-esque, but Charlie yeah. Kaufman. Right. <laughs> um, uh, not Andy Kaufman. Yeah. Um, because it's like so complex and it like folds in on itself and it's super meta. Um, it's like weird, but it's also very like personal and specific and I think accessible too. So uh, I want to read the description of the movie that comes up when I go to rent the movie from one of these big studios that's strangling my livelihood. A screenwriter asks his identical twin who is in the same profession for advice on a story about a serial killer. Now, you made a point. That is one of the only concrete things that you can't say definitely happens in the movie. Well, that's so interesting because the screenwriter in this, in that They're talking about Donald. Donald. They're talking about Donald. Yes. Yeah, and so, but I thought that they were talking about Charlie, and really, the only event, the only turning point in the movie is basically Charlie asking when Donald Charlie finally help. asked Donald. So, yeah. so it's written by Charlie Kaufman. He um, chose to write the movie with a fictional twin brother who yeah. is also a screenwriter. Charlie Kaufman um, is a very sort of cerebral, highbrow, artistic writer, and his brother is writing like kind of Hollywood schlock yeah and um it's interesting that the description did choose to focus on the fact that initially charlie's brother (laughs) asked him for help on his like big commercial screenplay right um rather than the reverse which is like i guess it's a spoiler right honestly yes if you think about it, it would be a pretty big spoiler to know that charlie breaks down and asks his brother if he can help um I also say the other thing that is sort of funny is at the beginning uh, in the opening of the movie, it says based on the book, The Orchid Thief by Susan Orlean. Yeah. Um, which it is. It is. And it was nominated for Best Adapted Screenplay mm-hmm. because it is uh, it is technically based on the book. And it, it does faithfully reproduce 
huge chunks of that story. Huge sections of the book. And also um, one of the things I think is so smart about the way it's done is he chose to write himself into the movie. He chose to write in his struggle adapting the book into a movie and make the movie about how hard it was for him to write the movie and adapt the book. But I think what he seized on was that some of the themes that were being explored in the book of like whatever, a a desire to belong and like sort of longing and and these other uh, concepts that he was experiencing those themes and that by writing about it, he would honor sort of the underpinnings of the book without actually like doing exactly what was in the book. Let's go back. 2002, I'm 16, little dork, not hot. Uh, I have have made at this time, like this was the time when I think a lot of people that age, that description were making like loving movies, their identity Mm -hmm. and stuff was coming out at that time that, you know, kid like me, I got my little Panasonic DVD player, uh, you could have your friends over and there were all those movies that you would just watch on DVD that were yeah. relatively new. Yeah. Memento, Mulholland Drive, Lost in Translation for comedies. It was like Napoleon Dynamite mm-hmm. and like all of these movies that were kind of built around indie auteurs. Yeah. And and Charlie Kaufman being just like the avatar of that era certainly for writers no one was really like touching him as and also documentaries around that same time all those amazing documentaries coming out capturing the freemans fog of war grizzly man Mm -hmm. bowling for columbine these movies that are like making good money as 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 indie movies also auteur projects yeah uh, and, and then I think at some point it turned the corner, I think of like Little Miss Sunshine and, um, King of Kong for the uh-huh. one fiction movie and the one documentary movie where it just got like this kind of corporate. <laughs> it had become a formula or something yeah, exactly. where you were like, oh, they like turned it into an algorithm and yes. they know exactly how to package it and promote it. And it no longer feels like I'm seeing something private. Yes. And the those way movies made did. fucking bank. And, they crushed. Yes. And not, not, you know, whatever. Not that they suck, but they no. don't have the same. Um, it felt like there was a little grit to like. Yeah. And, and the story of like, there was no cynicism or whatever to the, the scripting of being John Malkovich, which was the movie that Kaufman made prior to this where it was this script, I think, that floated around forever and everyone was like, God, I fucking love this. No one's ever going to make it. Right. Why did you write it? Like, yeah. you're so smart. Do you want to write something we would make? And he was like, no, 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 I want to do this. Mm-hmm. And it finally, um, I think, ended up with the Coppolas and then Sophia was married to Spike Jones at the time. Right. And uh, he was like, oh, I, I think I know how to do this. And so that collaboration happened And the story that Charlie Kaufman tells is that while he was on set during the making of that movie, he was he he had been hired to adapt The Orchid Thief and was kind of going, why did I take this assignment? That was never going to be able to do this at the time. Right. Mm -hmm. And he was going, I don't know how to do it. And then he said the only person he told about his idea to write himself in was Spike Jones. Yeah. And that if Spike Jones had been like, what are you talking about? You're insane that he just wouldn't have done it. But he was like, all right, let's see it. And then that kind of gave him the courage. So it, even somebody very unique and with like this big vision needed a collaborator who believed in them. And it does make me think of my relationship with Kevin Bartel. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you do have to look yeah. and go like, yes, I'm a singular voice. Like, yes, I'm a creative sure. wonderkin. Oh, yeah. But like. If I didn't have Kevin going like, okay, sure. <laughs> like, I don't know if I would have had the guts to make a movie podcast, which no one has ever thought of before. I thought about myself a lot watching this movie mm-hmm. too. Uh, and our uh, so it's a movie about 
the movie that ends up on screen. It's about the mm-hmm. process of writing that movie. Yeah. And kind of the 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 pretense of it is that the movie that you are watching kind of sucks. Uh, because like, because of like, you see what went into it. It's someone who has really no idea what to do. Every idea that he has in the movie ends up, he like, he shuffles through all these different versions of the movie Mm -hmm. he wants to make and they all end up on screen. They're all in the movie. Yes. Every time he goes like, no, 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 that's not how to start it. I should start it like this. It's like, well, they all, all of those sections get, get filmed and get, everything gets filmed. And then the entire third act, the idea is that his brother has taken over the process of writing the movie Mm -hmm. and turned it into something completely different. That is like sort of garbage, but not stylized in such a way that it's like actually bad on screen. It's like a decently executed version of it. Yeah. There's a, there's like, um, this like, sort of ironic detachment mm-hmm. yeah. where it's like I'm allowed to do this like shitty sucky commercial portion of the movie because I have acknowledged I, that it I know sucks and is shitty I know it when sucks. someone does it and yeah. you know that the person in the movie experienced the, <laughs> the events yes. thinks that what he's experiencing would be bad if it was in a movie Yes, and so it's like one just a great meta aspect. So I think like it's an out where you can't judge it because he's oh, yeah. already judged it. It is it is B Rabbit in eight I'm mile. So nestled in that out with so much of what we've done. It's such a crutch uh to be like like yeah, this we sucks. think it's bad. We know it sucks. We're not even trying. Uh like the yeah. Watching this movie was very satisfying, but also Well imagine opening up a movie podcast by being yes. like, Oh, no one's ever done a movie yes. podcast That's before. Right. Oh <laughs> and then so good. So it's like I know there's and too now many you're, of them, so and, you can't yes, tell me there's too it's many a of them. Security blanket and now you're just like cloaked in it. And then you can mm-hmm. just get away with with fucking up as much as you want. Yeah. Because like Well, he said it sucked. Yes. That's exactly How am I gonna right. come for him? Yes. Yeah. And then it turns on itself. We're like, okay, he knows that the, he did this badly on purpose, and so yeah. that's why the movie is so good and and so smart. But I I wanna because you you're touching on some of the stuff I wanted to say about it, which is like as inaccessible and self serving and uh, alienating as a movie about like someone's personal creative process could be. And could seem, and as much as that sounds like a bad idea for how to do a movie like this, there are a lot of things that are so smart, I think, including that about the way it's executed and like the opening, which is a theme that gets repeated a little bit of him asking a series of questions like you're just inside his brain and it's like. He's like going like, I should do this. I should do that. He's he's judging himself. He's like thinking about um, how he's losing his hair and he's gaining weight and he's, you know, all these different judgments. And whenever he sits down to write, it's like, maybe it should be this. Maybe it should be that. Like, I should get something to eat. I should eat a little bit, just a little something like that um, is specific and true to when you have to write. But I also think it's totally universal that everyone has this yes. inner monologue where it's like, there's something I'm supposed to do. Yeah. I just have to do it. And then your brain starts trying to do something else. Yeah. It doesn't want to do the work part and it will try to distract you. And then it will ultimately start to attack you. Yeah. Like you're negotiating with a wild animal mm-hmm. where it's going like, I so badly don't want to do this work, which if I just thought about it, we would be done and be able to execute it. Mm-hmm. Uh, that I don't just want to procrastinate. Right. I'm going to kill you. Like yes. I want you to hate yourself yes. so much that you never do anything again. Yes. And to convince you that you are dying, this is something that yep. runs through all of it. I think it's like a really serious thing he's dealt with over his life. Like yeah, anxiety. some kind of hypochondria. Yes. yes. Where like he talks about in this movie, it's like the bump on his leg. Like, yeah. Is that My leg hurts. And when yeah. you get to like synecdoche, New York, like you realize he's got, how like, much growths and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of like taken over his mind at at, at different points. Yeah. Uh, and I think it's interesting. I I think what he does in this movie is more palatable to what he ended up doing later in his career. He is obviously obsessed with 
the criticism and in this movie it's all about self-criticism and how much he hates himself Mm -hmm. and everyone else in the movie kind of like likes his shit generally yeah but like he just can't understand that he can't acknowledge that and then his career turned towards attacking his critics uh sean and i read a book together called ant kind kind where he it's entirely about uh, this the movie critic character who's based on Richard Brody, who he he hates his main character, and the main character hates Charlie Kaufman, talks mm-hmm. about Charlie Kaufman. And I think part of what has reduced his productivity in later years is he sunk like a decade into this movie called, I think, Frank or Francis, mm-hmm. that he could never get funding for. It was an original musical with 50 songs, and it's about a uh, commenter, like a troll, like an online yeah. troll. Uh, yeah, he became obsessed with the criticism and, and Richard Brody was, you know, like a well-respected critic for the New Yorker who yes. hated Charlie Kaufman's movies. Yes. Like was just like, this is indulgent. This is, and I think it must've really stuck to him. I respect Ant Kind as one of the most in-depth, totally petty works of art yes. I've ever oh seen, my God. which is also hilariously funny. But yeah, the Frank or Fred thing, I, it's about, and it was about like, internet outrage culture a little yes. bit but in like 2010 yeah like before it was what you think of now it right. was like when it was when i think it would have been more woke or whatever to be on the side of internet outrage is out of control right um because it was like you know so you've been publicly shamed like john ron's yes. era where it was like hey wait a minute we need to calm down and then of course the world was like no let's get he was also probably talking it. about like movie message boards and things like totally. that. When I was reading about the movie, they were talking about how like Drew McWeenie at Ain't It Cool News yes, had was, reviewed the script ahead had of time. reviewed the script. Exactly. Yeah. And so that's the kind of thing I'm sure at that time in his life was driving him literally insane. The other the the other thing I wanted to mention about uh how he made the idea accessible, and I agree that this uh, this is to me personally, because of probably whatever, where I was in my life. And when I saw it, I'm mm-hmm. a little older than you, but, um, so I wasn't, you know, 16. I was actually fucking badass. I was, what was it, 2002? I was 21. I was fucking partying like a rock star. Yeah. Got sober like a year later. Um, so, <laughs> so, <laughs> so, um, I thought it, this was kind of his peak for me. Like this was the being John Malkovich was cool. And then it was like, okay, I can do anything. Uh, but I've been hired to adapt this book and I'm going to do this crazy version of it. And I thought it was awesome. And because of what you're saying, where he puts every version, like every idea he comes up with ends up into the, in the movie, you understand why you're seeing what you're seeing. Right. Like it opens with this, like, time-lapse evolution of like nature and like you know the world and life being born and then like you know um primates becoming humans and all this stuff and then you see him get the idea to have the movie open with that yeah and understand why he wants it and so there's some like very clever kind of thematic smart stuff in the movie but he also holds your hand if you're a dumb guy to be like, this is why this movie is presented this way. This is why it's important. This is what made me think it would be good to put in. Yeah. And so that's why you watched it. Right. And it lets you feel like you totally understand the theme. So it's, it's weirdly like less alienating yeah. than just presenting the movie on its face. But it, it, it undercuts it too. Right. Because yeah. you see him come up with all these ideas out of desperation. They sound very cliched when he's talking them out rather than when you're seeing it on screen. So if you liked it later in the movie, he's like, oh, you like that? This That actually sucks. Mm-hmm. And if you didn't like it, you're like now now you're brought into the movie because he's all he also thinks all, all of his ideas are like within the movie. He thinks they're. Like contrived tried and yeah unworkable well he also every time he has momentum yes every single time he's like going like no i have it like right. reopen with roche he pulls over the swap and he's like going through this stuff and then what will derail him is 
his brother will walk in yes. or like his agent will call him and he will hear that someone who he thinks of as like less talented and having less value than him yeah. has more momentum mm -hmm. and more success. And that is the most relatable thing oh, yeah. I have ever seen a, like a writer acknowledge about writing is like, you open up deadline and see that someone you know yes. sold a script. Right. And you look at the script you're working on and you're like, I'm going to fucking write this now? They already sold that thing. It's about to get shot. Yeah. Like, what am I fucking doing? Like, yeah. you know, you're just like, oh, and that's like, and that's kind of, yeah, that, that idea is probably better. That's going to do better. Yeah. And it just, it's paralyzing that other people are doing it and that you're like, also like, well, if that's what everyone likes and that's what people are buying, why am I going to try to do my thing? Yeah. Like I thought my thing was unique and cool, but I guess like that is what people want. So fuck it. And so like that, and it's not, it, I thought it, it's done in kind of a subtle way where it just feels like, oh, his annoying brother keeps interrupting him. But he always interrupts him with like, I figured out the third yeah. act or like I finished the script or his agent going like your brother's script is incredible. Yeah. And then the spell is, is kind of broken. Yeah. And you just can't go back to the thing that you like. No, your momentum's gone. Yeah. And you're like now thinking about yourself and your career and mm -hmm. and uh, all this other stuff again. You're no longer in the actual creative act that you're right. trying to do. Yeah. I think back in the early 2000s uh, compared to like when when we started it, like writing and like started working in entertainment that was a time when you could be identified as someone who came up with ideas and mm -hmm. would like bring an idea to a movie and then like realize it in a, in a script which is kind of like an auteur uh like conception of, yeah. of of how hollywood works if that existed from the time that i started writing uh like in like 2009 or whatever it was on its way out i think uh, and it became yeah. much more about being brought in to realize the, an idea that had already been pre-approved, had yeah. been through all the like test marketing already. Yes. And it was like, we want something exactly like this. Yeah. And that's always how TV has kind of worked, where if you're writing on a show, you're there to realize the idea that someone else has come up with. The uh, auteurs got to make TV for the next few years or so. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think that has started to fall off as well. The idea like uh, like of someone being able to come in with a fully formed premise like Breaking Bad or Mad Men or yeah. whatever it is and like see it all the way through. That stuff doesn't seem to really be happening anymore either. Well, and the amount of pre-work that you need right. to do, like it's just that, you know, it was also in TV, you could bring in a great pilot that you wrote. Mm -hmm. So I have this great pilot. I wrote Breaking Bad or like Mad Men was like a yeah. spec. Like he wrote Mad Men. Yeah. And then like it got to AMC and they were like, we want we're getting in the TV business. We want to do this. And like, you tell us what it is. Now it would be like, okay, cool. We read Mad Men. We do want to do a show about an advertising agency. Why don't you outline what the first three seasons would be? Yes. And then like, we've got notes on, the, you know, there's just so much more of like them asking you alone to like map everything out, which is probably not first of all it's probably not what it's going to be if you ever get to actually make it and yeah. it's probably not as good as what it is when you do get the collaboration of the way tv is actually written which is like with a yeah. with a group um but charlie kaufman started in television yes. which is kind of interesting um i'll say this probably on this movie podcast a lot i haven't worked really in movies i've written you know my own feature stuff where I've done punch up on other people's stuff, but yeah. I've never like done a movie. I don't know that side of the business as well, but I like that he did start out staffing. He stopped on get a life, which mm -hmm. is one of the weirdest shows ever. Yeah. And I'm, and I think was successful there because they were so open to somebody with like really unique ideas mm -hmm. and then went through a journey of some other shows finally on Ned and Stacy, which was like a pretty down the middle sitcom yeah. that he was a producer on. And I think that at that point was probably pretty fed up with TV because that is when you're, as you say, you're realizing someone else's vision, your job when you get hired on a staff uh, is there's a showrunner, often also the creator who 
has a tone and a voice that they've decided on in a way they think the show should go. And you are trying to aim at the same target as them. You're not trying to do like your version of their idea. You're yes. trying to help them make their idea. Yeah. With comedy, I think you can get that satisfaction Satisfaction from like, oh, my jokes are getting it. Yeah. Each individual joke is like a creative product that's yeah. yours, especially when I was writing on Family Guy. It's so modular yep. with the cutaways and stuff. You could just be like, oh, that's mine. That's like straight yeah, that's up mine. My little that's sketch in there. that's in here. Yeah. yeah. And like you can keep track of your stats better than than, than you can on some other types of shows. Mm-hmm. Like just be like, oh, my shit's getting in. Like I'm good at, at this. Yeah. And you can come up with some develop some ownership over the product in that way. Yeah. And, and full story in a sitcom that has like a serialized element or something you can, you can point to sometimes like, Oh, I cracked this story piece. Something like get a life. Each premise was such a unique, like weird story. mm -hmm. I'm sure he was coming up with stuff that really Mm -hmm. felt like it was, it was his. And so you're now you're, you're like developing an idea of yourself as a writer, even though you're subsumed into this project. Yeah. I think that's harder to do now with comedy and, and less uh, joke based uh, structures where you're just like basically sitting with your arms crossed trying to carve an eight episode plot arc. Yeah. Uh, at, you know, out of. I mean, it, you just like wrestling. It's like turning a like a cruise ship rather than like, yeah a, well like any big like boat. innovative pitch then like jostles loose like, yes. the two episodes around it on either side and yeah. then it's like so you're like oh i have a pitch but it creates a lot of work yeah and so you end up finishing the day with much more frustration and no real sense of satisfaction most days because the individual pitch the small idea is just not as relevant in and and i think lots of comedy tv writing today but talk about the my lead. shit is i mean when i pitch it's really good um <laughs> talk about what uh like the lead time on some of these shows i think feel like everyone's talking about jury duty is like kind of this throwback thing where like it's it's a small show but like it's interesting idea mm-hmm. I was in the mini room for jury duty in i think 2015 2016 something mm-hmm. like that when the show came out on air, I was like, oh, they did a different show about jury duty. I had no idea it was the show. Same creator, same, yeah. For so long. At the time, they hadn't talked about the, ver- like, someone in the room doesn't know that it's real, which mm-hmm. became, like, the main premise. It was just kind of a show about jury duty, but they did want to have a, cel- they were talking about it being Will Ferrell, like, the one yeah. celebrity that's in there that ended up being James Marsden. I think I auditioned for it, like, three years ago, and, like, you know, never, I mean, and I, maybe wasn't even at the same network that it ended up airing on like at it that was time. originally for abc as part of the eisenberg and stupnitsky's like overall mm-hmm. deal and it might have still gone through abc studios i don't know if they even still have their deal there but um yeah and it was maybe going to end up on hbo that they were talking about but that i mean that is more time investment than I think most people are willing to put into any project at this point. I mean, that's a that's a really really long. It's a long process road. for stuff that used to turn around in less than a year from from conception to it being on air. Yeah. So as we talk about our experiences in in TV writing and stuff, I want to mention like so one of the first things you see in the movie when you when you see Charlie Kaufman is he's on set. Yeah. And he's on the set of being John Malkovich. And um, I think it's very uh, well illustrated. You mentioned to me that if that was you, you would feel like you were, I believe you said king shit of King shit Mountain. Hollywood. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that he, but that he is like feeling very out of place and kind of miserable on set. And, you know, you just, you you can see on his face that like the self-loathing is present there and he wants, wants some kind of acknowledgement or something or to disappear. But he just like, he feels like he's in the way and people are treating And I think it's probably overblown how much people are like how disrespectful people are of him on the set because he was, and again, this is all how he sees the world, the entire movie is filtered through his his perception. There's a surreal aspect of it, and there's some things that like ring a little bit false. Totally. Some exchanges, but I think it's because it's stylized into like this is this is exactly how he um or it's like a shorthand for how he felt or how he perceived it. Yes, 
and I I do think it's really interesting. I remember the first times being on set for like my sketch on Nick Swartzen's Comedy Central show, mm-hmm. or yeah, like my pretend ep- time or pretend yeah. time. Yeah, my episodes of Big Lake or whatever. I was just like so puffed up watching them. I still have like the menu from the fucking diner at Big Lake because that I remember thinking like someone had to go make this so i had to go like put this together just a number of people that are now like springing into action from something you created yeah it's very easy to get like full of yourself in that context but he is so diseased that like he he's watching people like there's no better version of like a writer's work being realized like from start to finish he had this idea it is being shot. It was it, it, the movie ended up being absolutely beloved. Yeah, he's got like John Malkovich, like to in being John Malkovich, in being John Malkovich. But but I so you said that to me, and I totally disagreed because I don't feel that way when I'm on set, hmm. and I've been you know I I, I I've been like an executive producer on You've shows on like I've been on set for shot things that's yours that it yes I've yeah. been on set for things that are shot uh that are mine I've been on set for things I didn't write but I was the person who the show creators trusted the most to be there overseeing it right. like and you know uh, I worked on a show where I got sent to set all the time and for my stuff and others and I as a writer especially I guess because it was never my show. Yeah. Felt totally in the way. Uh-huh. I constantly think like all these like other trades people are just like get the fuck out of my way. Like I'm trying to move like a big light like you just like can yeah. you not stand there? And then, you know, sometimes you have a chair but it's like set far back from everyone else. So you're like looking through like other chairs in people's heads. Yeah. And then there's like either they turn to ask you if you have something like they'll film a scene, they'll do rehearsal, they'll turn to you and they'll either go like, are you good? Do you have anything? Mm-hmm. And then you're like supposed to, I guess, be like, yes, here's the best line. <laughs> like, right. um, Or really what they want is for you to go like, that's great. Like, keep going. Like, they don't want your input, really. Mm-hmm. Um. Or there's like a problem that you're now supposed to solve and it's like something that 10 people worked on for weeks right. and then there's an issue with it and they're like, now you one person in 30 seconds, like fix it, make it that, better. That's different. And that I definitely would feel like later in in my work all the time, like that stress and anxiety about like having to do something that was important mm-hmm. or like whatever. Thomas Hayden Church has an unrealizable idea that you have to like talk mm-hmm. him out of or things like that but that's very different from what charlie kaufman is showing which is like he doesn't need to be there at all and nobody i don't i i don't feel like anyone knows who i am or why i'm there Hmm. and it's like i am this person who it's like why is this fucking guy like right next to the monitor yeah like why is he here yeah um and like maybe the especially in television where there's a new director every week it's like some directors are like cool and inclusive mm-hmm. and like hey we should do this and like talk to you about it yeah but some of them if you do have something where you're like i know we need to get that line a different way or something like that you have to go and bother them yeah. like you have to go and interrupt them like they won't come to you you have to go like hey sorry can you stop can you not act- can you not actually move on to a right. new shot and they're yeah. like what yeah and it's that like sucks. i i hate it yeah i just feel so much Anxiety, I feel totally unnecessary. There was a show that I was a producer on and I was there on set for all of it. And I had been involved in uh, some of the table reads early on. And, you know, the moment where he's staring at Catherine Keener and it's like he wants the cast to say hi to him. Like that's that's such a feeling that I know of of being like, maybe if some of the other important creative people who are recognized by everyone here. Yeah talk to me mm-hmm. like they think I'm cool. Yeah. That will settle some of the, <laughs> the issues that I'm having. Yeah. And so I had one of the actors 
come up to me and start talking to me. And they were like walking with me and I like walked, you know, from the set back to my office and they were like, whoa, you've got your own office. Look at you move it up. And I was like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And through the conversation realized that they thought I was someone who had only been hired to help out with table reads because I read uh -huh. all the extra parts of the table read. Uh. Now that they wow, thought that was a job office. at all. <laughs> yes, that that was a job that I would then be carried on to set to watch other people film when those parts had been cast <laughs> yeah. by other well, actors. Well, that's important. You got to know like for the next table read. And then it was like, like wow, the you got an office. Doing. Yeah. And it was like, that's very funny. I'm I'm your boss. Yeah. But it's like, you don't know my name. You know my name. Right. My name is on some of the scripts. Okay. But that I just feel like so worthless yeah. and like I'm and like I'm in the way. So well, I connected to that. Well, the like what we're talking about is what you're assuming that other people are thinking. And same for me, because mm -hmm. I would fall into this place sometimes of being like, oh, like, like I'm the right, you know, especially when I was really young. Yeah. It's like, oh, I'm the writer. Everyone's talking about how young I am to be here. Like everyone yeah. like is like scared to talk to me, but is acknowledging my role in the situation. And I think the entire movie is about his 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 assumption of what people think about him, which is not accurate at all. Mm -hmm. Like it is is a product of his his mental health problems. And I think it's really interesting how the movie is like the like the character he's mostly writing about that's not him is another writer. Yeah, who he does not assume has any of those same insecurities. Doesn't yes. assume that she has problems. Just like <laughs> you cut from his office to hers at one point. His office is a tiny little table with a shitty typewriter on it. There's mm -hmm. nothing on the wall. It's in his bedroom, I think. Yeah. And it looks like total crap. And then you cut to her office, which is like wood paneled and has like nice books and like things all mm -hmm. over the place. And she's just kind of like typing away. Yeah, she's got her computer. Yeah, yeah, she's got her little computer. And like her problems are more about like searching for meaning and mm -hmm. like real, like what's authentic love and things like that. But she's not shown as seeing like, oh, this other fucking writer is just like, like this other New Yorker writer has got this like getting more attention than me, which I know I'm friends with New Yorker. Writers. Like this is that's how everyone thinks. That's yeah. how like that's how all writers think. And her process, I'm sure, is like just as fraught with like blockages and like not, you know. Well, and the way his and the other writer being his his brother who has no is not self-conscious at all. Yeah. Like is not concerned. But that's with a fake character. Perception. Yeah, I know. But it's it's there. There are other writers in the movie and the other writers do not have the same. Yes. They do not have self-doubt around their work. Yes. Um, Her problems are all like she's in like a midlife crisis. Yes. So that is a little bit different. Um, but it's but, but, it, but it's different. Like the movie is about how he talks about the part of the movie is about how like we all come from the same play, you know, the same cells. We're all one. Mm -hmm. A lot of movies are, that were made, these indie movies were like, I think like me and you and everyone we know were mm -hmm. kind of like that Cra crash, whatever, like showing all yeah. these people have their own problems. But he can't actually universalize his his condition like he he yeah. can't represent other people well because he's thinking why is it so easy for other people but it's not I mean, he I, just doesn't get it yeah that's true but it does it does sometimes appear that way it and when you totally see someone does. who's like because the thing that i did where i did connect to what you were saying about like why is he still like so self-loathing this spot is when he goes when he first sits down with the executive Tilda Swinton and she's like we're huge fans of you we yes. love your shit yes in that spot I would not because he's like oh geez yeah and like and then um you know can't can't accept the compliment and that's and that's but if I was like with like a powerful movie executive who was being like, I think you're a genius, yeah. I would be like, thank you. I'm glad someone recognized it. Inter I would be like, finally, I've secretly been thinking that for a long time. <laughs> and I've been wondering, like, when is somebody with a fucking brain going to read yeah. some of my shit? Yeah. Like, so that that would make me like very egocentric. And even that, like the set thing, I understand the like executive uh kissing your ass thing i'm like i'm a sucker for that yeah. like when they're like you're doing great i'm like yes i know so and then he proceeds to also like in his perception blow the meeting and talk himself out of the job like he yes. portrays it as 
he is saying everything she doesn't want to hear right and like ruining her lunch and the idea of the movie that they have and gets the job anyway so it's like you know that's not how the conversation went because yes. when they cut away he has the job he has it. so yes. it didn't go as badly as he thinks right um i want to talk about when you say like his brother is a fake character which he is why do you think it's an identical twin and why do you think that character is in there like what is it a symbol of he represents a kind of writer that I hate and another person who I just like think exists. Mm -hmm. Or is it like, this is how I wish I could be. This is like a part of me I wish I could access. Uh -huh. Because he does ultimately write the part of the movie that his brother writes. Right. And it is in the movie. Now he's in it wishing it wasn't, mm -hmm. kind of. But like... What do you? What did you think about that? Like, why because, is it like but that? What I don't think it is. You didn't even bring this up, but like, what in a lot of those cases it would be like, oh, these are two different sides of myself that I'm right. illustrating as two different characters. I don't think there's any anyone thinks that any version of Donald is in Charlie Kaufman. Like, this is like I don't think that is a side of him. Right. Right. It's no. I think it's not. But it's like, yeah. is it like? Does he think it could be inside of him and he can't access it? Like, I see people who are like so good at right. schmoozing with execs or whatever. Yeah. And I know it would be helpful for my career if yeah. I was better at that. Mm -hmm. And I go, and I've had the thought, even like when I used to commercial audition and people would be like, you just gotta not care. And I would go in and like, oh, Pally, for example, would like do exactly what they told him not to do. Yes. Like he would make a choice and they would go like, okay, let's do it again. And this time don't do that. And he would do it even more. Right. And then he would get the job and I'd go, that's what I got to do. Just be punk rock. I don't need the job. Mm -hmm. Like I've got to have that mentality. And then I would go in and like try to do it. And they would hate me so much more yes. than they had before. <laughs> yes. And I would be like, why did I do that? That it's like, you're never going to see that casting director again. Yes. Because you tried to do what you've seen them like, but they like it from that other person because they actually don't care. Right. I think it's two different things. One is, I think it is one of the things in the movie that's the manifestation of a sort of uh, cliched, like schlocky idea that comes up in the movie, mm -hmm. like the split personality thing. Which then does become a movie that John Cusack from being John Malkovich that's right. did Identity star it. did do it. Yeah, yeah exactly. They did, the, they did the movie. And that was a thing at the time. And I think like Memento was kind of the same idea. And mm -hmm. I think he's sort of playing off. It's one of those things that's like, yeah, this is, this is, we've seen this before, but I know that like it's mm -hmm. sort of winking at it. And I, I also think, yeah, it's that just taking that writer that you're so resentful of that it seems to be so easy for and is like, you know, fucking and like, yeah. <laughs> like this is getting everything that, that he wants mm -hmm. uh, and just turning it into, but like the fact that it's his twin brother isn't, I, I think it was also, it's a way to, uh, get a good actor to, to do something. I think they're just kind of the That's commercial true. elements of it. Yeah, well. and and to talk about the acting for a minute, like Nick Cage plays both those roles. Yeah. He does, I mean, when he's playing the sort of like brother who has no internal monologue, yeah. uh, he does things like says, I'm going to push, push in the bush. Yes, with my his body language tonight, is totally and like, different. It's like yes. pretending to hump the air. Yeah. It's, it's one of the craziest, funniest things. But the thing that's wild in this movie is Meryl Streep goes big she plays on drugs she yes. wants to commit a murder yes nick cage plays small yes. the whole time he yells at like the very end of the movie but it's like it's such an authentic like he's just like stressed yell yeah i mean i don't know i i can't really think of uh another performance where he never does like yeah. one of his things mm -hmm. and uh i'm sure they exist but like this this is the one that stands out to me of he plays so small he plays so real he plays like this kind of whatever uh very anxious guy um and streep is like when she plays that scene where she first gets high yeah and she's like on them she's taking these long pauses mm -hmm. she's like 
I'm very happy now. Yes. And it's like, it's so good mm -hmm. uh, and it's so fun. And uh, with her, I can't really think of a similar performance either. No. I hadn't so. seen the movie in probably 15 years. And as that scene was playing out, I realized how much I remembered her line reading so specifically. Yeah. Like, because they're, they're, they're so distinct. Weirdly, I, I remember... Uh, you know, this was also the time in my life when I was very focused on the Academy Awards. Sure. And like what was going to happen. I remember the performance everyone was talking about at that time was Chris Cooper. Yeah. He was very good in the movie. He's great. But it's just like one of those, it sometimes happens with more supporting roles. You lose mm -hmm. sight of like the other, the, the leads are doing And much he more was work. being introduced in a way. Like right. he obviously has had a great career. Yes. But it was like within a string of three or four awesome That's performances right. by him that were all different. And it was kind of like, it was People had discovery. just learned his name. That's right. To say like Meryl Streep gives a great performance yes. was boring yes. or Nicolas Cage because yes. they both had Oscars. That's right. But that's partially why, although when you watch it now, their performances, I think, are both more impressive. Yeah. Um, and there's something similar to like you say, like he really differentiates himself from Susan Orlean and like that he's she doesn't have problems, but they are mirrored because I guess this could be, you know, possibly one of my smart thoughts. I will be talking about smart thoughts on this podcast that I had about movies. So I'll say this smart thought and then my other big one, which is they are sort of intellectuals, like principled intellectuals who are being opened up mm -hmm. by someone who is very simple and like, and uh, and not simple meaning like dumb, but they, you know, it's like Donald is teaching Charlie like how to let go and love and yeah. write and not judge. And she is learning from LaRoche, who is like this like kind of backwoods character with no front teeth who like walks around in a swamp how to rediscover passion and mm -hmm. caring about things and interest. And like they are, you know, they are having the same experience. That is a way, and that is a way that he is adapting the book. You right. know, the third act is, you know, it's Donald's version of the movie, but it also, I think there's a conversation that people remember most about the movie, like philosophically mm -hmm. uh, that they're putting forward. And it's kind of, it happens in sort of a contrived moment where they're like running from they're hiding in a swamp and they're trying not to get killed by Susan mm -hmm. Orlean and yeah. uh, and John LaRoche. Uncomplicated and, is what I wanted to call those characters. Yeah. They are not right. complicated characters. They are like right down what you see is what you get. Yes. It is on the surface. They are telling you what they are thinking. They are not like prejudging any of yes. their thoughts. They're just going like, this is what I think. Yes. And the and Susan Orlean and uh dude are incapable of doing yes. that. And That's you see, right. yeah, when they, even when she has the dinner party and they're making fun of LaRoche and she has yes. to go excuse herself to the bathroom. because She's like, this is who I'm pretending to be of like someone who would judge this stuff. But I actually think it's like beautiful that like his van's a mess. That's a great scene. And it's such a good realization of like kind of a crappy, uh, like upper class dinner party. You know who her husband is? No, I don't. Curtis Hansen. Wow. Yeah. So there's a lot that I think that most people... Remember is when Donald was talking about you're you, talking you're getting to yes you're getting to the scene which is my this is my wish I wrote it you are what you love not what loves you yeah so yes. there's so so I I want to talk about Do because it. this is a show about writing yeah. uh, of movies I want to have a segment called wish I wrote it where mm -hmm. we pick the part of the movie that you're the most jealous of yeah when you watch it and it's like. It's not even a specific line in it, although I think the line that I find more affecting even than like you're you're not um you're you are what you love, not what loves you is when Charlie's telling his brother about a time that he watched him get flirted with by a popular girl at high school and that he was happy when he walked away, she made fun of him. And he goes like, you're so clueless. Like, you don't know what anyone thinks about you. Mm -hmm. I have to think about what everyone thinks about me. You're not burdened with that. You had no idea. And his brother goes, I knew they were making fun of me. I could hear them. And he's like, then why were you still happy? And he says, because it was mine. Because he, he loved her. Yeah. The love I felt for her. Yeah. The girl was, who was making was fun mine. of me. Yeah. It was mine. And it That's wasn't, 
it wasn't hers to take away. It was like yeah. a good feeling I had about something or someone and like that's up to me. Yeah. And then that goes on a little bit and like you are what you love, not what loves you. And Charlie starts crying and says thank you and yes. cannot put into words what he's thanking him for, but he's been kind of opened up by this. And that is that's the moment that stuck with me for sure. Yes. And yeah, it takes place within the like swamp gun chase car mm -hmm. chase thing that is like the fakest part of the movie but it's got this like real sentiment in it and that's the vulnerable thing like that the, the place that you watching it that the writer puts you in because i also think that that sentiment is very meaningful and i think it's like a, gr a very well written sequence but it, it does happen in this part of the movie that is like supposed to be bad and it kind of makes you wonder. It's another self-protection thing. Yeah, absolutely. Where it's like, well, this is the corny part of the movie. Exactly. Is that yeah. meant to be like something that a bad movie would do? Stop down the chase sequence for like. Well, now they're talking they're... too loud. Yes, like they're getting. They're there's people like... right behind them with guns, yes. and they're like not whispering. Like, yes, and so it, it would be very easy. Like you talk to him and be like, "Oh yeah, I guess I'm glad you like that. I actually wrote that because I thought it was so stupid. I was yeah, I was <laughs> making fun of how movies will have this yeah, like, but big that's emotional great. message. I, no, that's awesome that you liked it though. Like <laughs> I totally believe that, but it's like. Uh, you know, I'm I'm a sucker. Yeah. Like I uh, like I'm a little bit of a softy, and so I was like, yeah, this is um even if he was writing it to be like this is what a shitty writer would right. write in this spot, within the context of the film, I'm jealous of that existing where it does because it is you know it is this big third act moment. Yeah. It does give the full message, and it does you know, and he says it into his little tape recorder later. Right. Like he's, he tells me, you know, and, and Charlie tries to thank him, but he can't put it into words. Like he's having it as the idea for yes. the end of the movie that he thinks is good in the movie too. And they know? end with happy together. And so you're like, oh, that was the song that Donald wanted to put in the movie. Yeah. The movie does, I think, successfully have it both ways. Totally. Like they don't go into full parody mode in that third act. It's not like um, that like NTSF SUV type like... Uh, yeah, the style of the movie doesn't change so much no. that it pulls you all the way out of it, and now it's it's just like a bit. Um, but Here, here's my other big smart yeah. thought. Okay, and tell me if this is obvious. But you know, LaRoche is giving these speeches about like the the bee's purpose in life, like yeah. it goes and like mates with the flower, and this is how life continues by doing its like singularly focused thing, and you you have to do the thing you're supposed to do, and um, that's what we have adapted to and evolved into and that like you know charlie kaufman is, or, or kaufman's learning i have to i i should be writing like i should be yeah. writing the movie that's i that's my b thing like i'm supposed to or i should be falling in love or whatever it is but the movie itself the movie that you are watching mm -hmm. by having that like shitty sequence at the end during the course of the movie it adapts to survive in the Hollywood ecosystem. Yeah. Like part of the idea of the movie is that in Hollywood, you cannot have a movie. When he pitches Tilda Swinton at the beginning, like it's not going to have like a story or a plot or like, I don't want like a fucking car chase or a gun or like any of this fake bullshit. And by both Robert McKee and Tilda Swinton, he's told like, well, that's not a movie then. Like you can't yeah. have a movie that is that. The movie evolves and adapts and acquires these qualities that will allow it to be released in theaters yeah. because the environment in which it lives needs that to needs survive. That's right. And that's why you're seeing the movie. Otherwise it would have died. Right. And I was like, so it's like, it's adaptation. It's an adaptation of a book. They're talking about how flowers adapt, how animals adapt. He's, you know, LaRoche helps her adapt. He, Donald helps him adapt, but also the movie itself adapts. And I thought that yeah. that was cool. That was my smart thought. Yeah. The thing about what I wish I had written, again, I think it is kind of impossible to, like, if you weren't working in that, if you're working in that time, I'm sure every fucking writer who was, like, in the business at that time was like, fuck, this is something I could have done. Yeah. The entire, pre and would have loved to do because it's about me and my yeah. shit and everyone loves it. Like, they must have hated him. When this movie came out, I cannot imagine how jealous literally every other writer in the industry was TV because he got to make the leap to movies. Every other screenwriter so jealous that he got to put this yeah. out. So I, but I don't think that jealousy can move backwards. Like there's, there's nothing 
at the time we were working that you could have done that was reminiscent of that because it had been done so extensively by this movie. I, I just really like the one the one joke I really like is um he says there are no movies about flowers and Donald says, What about flowers for Algernon? And he says, That's not about flowers, and it's not a movie. <laughs> oh yeah, I never saw it. Uh, oh yeah, and he says, Oh yeah, I never never saw it because it's But you've been told it's not a movie. Yes, yeah, that's right. Oh yeah, sorry, I never saw it. Yes. I mean that 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 just whole back and forth is really, really funny and that's it's played great. so 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 fast. Yeah, I think I've maybe said all my really smart th- thoughts about the movie. The yeah, the only um so it is about like whatever Hollywood and yeah. all this stuff and so I'll try to inject some some personal stories into this. Um and there his agent is a very funny character. It's Ron Livingston. I do believe so he has a meeting in his agent's office and twice his agent looks at women passing by in the window and mentions either that he has or wants to fuck them up the ass. Yes. And I just can guarantee you that one of Charlie Kaufman's agents at some point said something about fucking someone up the ass about like either somebody walked by at a restaurant or something because it's so specific and he does it twice and it is so kind of jarring when he Mm -hmm. does it that he like thinks it's cool and uh, I do think, you know, we have some agents are really good, some are really bad, but there is sort of a culture there uh, where they try. I had one agent who I maybe went out to meals with him like three times and every time at some point he'd be like, you into fighting? Do you like to fight? <laughs> like, do, you have any, do you have any fighting training? And then I would be like, ah, not really. And he would proceed to explain all of his fighting training and then revealed to me that he was actually at some point studied like a almost like a top secret martial art where he could kill people, which like so could I like you, you would choke them like, like, like please don't. But like um, so that was like this very macho yeah. kind of broy thing that he wanted to get down on. And I'm sure that this is charlie's version of that where he's like i don't want to talk about this <laughs> like yeah and i think that has changed a lot as well in terms of like who is in those roles mm-hmm. i think that's what agents mostly were like and agents that were female were kind of evaluated by whether or not they could hang mm-hmm. in that world yeah can you get in the boys club yes but my agent uh was or i haven't written anything in a very long time and i, I think i'm still she's still technically my agent but like very smart, not like that at all. Mm-hmm. And I think like she's not an agent anymore. Now she's like, but yeah, Manager, yeah. But I think I still might technically be right yeah. by her. I'm not positive. Yes, I think you are. And it's something about the movie in general. It's what I was talking about with what he thinks Susan Orlean's process is like is a very much like a guy's idea of what uh, like someone who does his job but is a woman mm-hmm. does it like. Just this idea that oh, they just like much more discipline they just like kind of go to work they don't have the same level of insecurity yeah everything's neat and tidy and like the office is nice yeah it's like pretty you know it's pretty easy to write and like they kind of think these guys around them are crazy their husband's a little annoying yeah it's yeah he's basically what like charlie coffin is what then became later like the hot mess like amy schumer type character Mm -hmm. like showing what like susan orlean's character does not really have flaws or the flaws in the third act are really like made up she has like desire and longing but like otherwise she wishes she was more like activated and a bigger participant in life rather than an observer um but it's i mean we talk about like garden state at the same time like these indie movies by male auteurs and like what they were kind of like putting women for it was all like through their idea well i mean also he's and He's acknowledging, like, so Charlie Kaufman masturbates to three women yes. in the film. Yes. The first uh, that we see is a waitress yes. that is nice to him. Mm-hmm. The second that we see, I think, is the executive mm-hmm. that he has lunch with at the beginning. He's imagining her loving his script, yes. and it um, makes him so horny. And then the third time and final time. It is to the author of the book 
that he is adapting the, bu- the, the book jacket and he turns and he turns to the book jacket after he's finished masturbating to her in the film that you are watching that yeah. was adapted from a book and he says i hope i don't disappoint you yes <laughs> and and that is insane and right. she i believe did reject this movie being made she had approval At over first, the movie being made yes. when she read it she was like do not make this movie yes. i do not want this yeah and which i completely understand she thought it would ruin her career it is interesting in a way like i just feel like i'm not saying this is good or bad that would not be in a movie now no i <laughs> would not no it's like, that would not happen in a movie i think that's probably true or i think and like it did end up being what what she is i mean she's continued to write all along yeah. but it's what she's best known as and we would see her sometimes at earwolf studios when mm-hmm. we, we used to host a, a podcast yeah. on the same network and i would always think like oh susan orlean like for adaptation like, yeah this is really exciting you know i think today this is probably this is a good thing like the movie would actually like if you were to do that with a male character you would also shift some of those qualities the qualities that i think are more accurate to the female character as yes. well you yes. know like showing them being like the what we see is more traditionally male flaws but that women also like have more on on screen now mm-hmm. Like if that's the way you would kind of balance that out, I think if you were to to do that today. Yeah, right. Well, we're just about done talking about this movie. This has been good. I have one more sort of just unrelated, but I just think it's a funny story, agent story, which is not from a writing agent. It was from when I was acting mm. and um, I was starting to write, but I had no work. I, I had moved to LA for a writing job. Mm-hmm. I wrote for this MTV show. I was then done and kind of trying to figure out what to do next and i remember and i was uh we had the improv show shitty jobs going at ucb it was i would say and i guess people can fact check me at the time other than i guess ascat which is like the flagship most famous ucb show probably the most popular improv show at the ucb theater which is arguably you know, one of the best comedy theaters in the country. I was doing improv there. It was sold out for the month. The second it went up every day and I had an agent and I was, so I was doing improv, I would say at a high level and they were holding auditions for MTV's disaster date and they needed improvisers. And I called my agent and I said, Hey, every improviser I know is going in for this can you get me in for this? And she was like, I don't know, Sean. You gotta be funny to do those shows. (laughs) I mean, like funny, funny. And I said, well, I think I might be. Maybe you could come to see my show. Like, cause I do an improv show and you could tell them like, you, I've seen him, he does improv. You could tell me he does yeah. a popular, they might know UCB. And she went like, when's the show? And I was like, well, it's, it's at 11 o'clock. And she went, 11 a.m., <laughs> maybe. And I went, no, no, it's at 11 p.m. And she went, oh, Sean, that's too late. <laughs> that is very like, well, late. Well, Saturday Night Live starts at 11.30. That's also that, that's a level of professional disgrace that even Charlie Kaufman, who who hates himself, believes that kind of thing is happening to him all the time. But it's so disrespectful that, it, that he doesn't even have characters talking to him that way. And she doesn't want to lob in the call that she doesn't want to burn the bridge yeah. with the MTV disaster date people by sending them a fucking dud like yeah. me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So uh, as I said, when you um, when you are a writer, when you are on set, uh, they finish filming and they turn and they say, you got anything? And so I say to you, Hayes, um, are you good? Are we good to move on? I'm good. Good to do the next Let's episode? Let's move on. Yeah. Okay. All good. Which All right. is also what I always say All on right. set. I never have anything. Moving on. That was a HeadGum Podcast.